You've tuned into a mega church. We are a people hungry to encounter God through worship and His Word, being witnesses to the world around us. We pray this teaching blesses you and trust God will reveal Himself to you in a new way today. And if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or to find out more about Omega, head to our website or Facebook page through the links below. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Morning. morning. Nice to see people awake. Who was here last week? Yeah. Did you hear the testimony about Sonny? Uh, yeah, we'll fill him in. We'll fill you in on it later. But what happened was he was he. They came late, and he was sitting at the back, and God radically touched him as we were as we were all worshiping. And it's such a testament to the power of corporate worship, where when we come together, something special happens as we lift up the name of Jesus with one voice. And so, I think as I was pondering this the whole week, my perception of worship growing up was that it's this feeling we sing these songs and we we're attaining this special feeling of i don't know goosebumps or oh yeah now i'm here now i feel the presence of god but what happened last week was i didn't i didn't have that feeling i was up here i was i was leading worship playing guitar and have that feeling but god life got radically transformed from zero to a hundred like complete 180 and so i think i don't know i'm just i'm just uh processing and with you guys that maybe maybe worship's not a feeling that we chase maybe worship is just our opportunity to pour ourselves out at the feet of jesus and if that happens it's great so um yeah i encourage you next time pour yourself out at the feet of jesus Don't just stand there. <laughs> He's so worthy, guys. He's so worthy. <laughs> Don't let worship pass you by. Don't let these moments pass you by without pouring yourself out at the feet of Jesus. I didn't want to say this. I don't know why I did. <laughs> okay, let's move on to <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's make our usual affirmation. The kingdom of God is here. Louder and stronger. Kingdom of God is here. One more time. Stronger and louder. Amen. That's very important. I was praying to the Lord and asking the Lord, Lord, what is happening in Omega? Please show me our condition. Show me, O oh God, what is really happening in the church. And suddenly I see something. It's very funny, I think. It may be surprising you at all. Surprising you as well. So I see a very small cup. I think it was smaller than this. Half the size of this. And uh, people are drinking from this small cup. Is there anything wrong with drinking from a small cup? No. But when you're thirsty, what will happen if you find a small cup? Huh? It will be irritating to drink from a small cup. You say, what is this? Can I not have a bigger cup? Okay, so you go for a bigger cup, glass, and you drink. Is it going to quench your thirst if you're really thirsty? 
I will tell you what happened to me when I was in my younger days. I used to go around many places biking, cycling. And it will be 40 plus degrees outside and I'll be sweating out. My shirt will become stiff from the sweat and the salt that comes out of my sweat. And then when I stop to drink, you just take a grab, the biggest thing possible, and you drink. That is thirst. God says, there's not enough thirst in Omega. You're not thirsty for God. If you're thirsty for God, you will not be satisfied with the little thing that you're going to drink from. We have a smaller cup at home. Hunter, when he comes home, he loves to drink from it. It's fun for him. He goes and fills it up and drinks, fills it up. He may be drinking more than he needs because for him, He's only four years old. That's enough. But if you have real thirst for God, you are not going to be happy with a little cup, bigger glass. You're going to grab a big pot and drink from it. That's what I want, I want you to capture this morning. How much is your thirst for God? How much is your thirst for God? Even the thought of breaking down into tears when you think of worshiping God, there is thirst deep inside. If there's no thirst, you will not cry. That's a sign of thirst for God. I thank God. It wasn't, we did not uh, think about it. John, you must come and cry before the church. No, I did not do all that. It is the Holy Spirit who is orchestrating everything here. And I want you to capture that idea of, the idea of having thirst for God. Unquenchable thirst. Now, turn to your neighbor and give me a high five say, have unquenchable thirst. I only hope you won't forget this next week. <laughs> my point is, this is what God is impressing upon my heart. We need to be thirsty for him. When you are thirsty for him, then you will enjoy drinking. When you are not thirsty, even the little cup will be distasteful to you. Oh, you don't feel like drinking it. You don't enjoy the drink, that water. But if you're thirsty, one glass is not going to be enough. Bigger pot, lift it up and drink. That is what I want every one of us to have. May the Holy Ghost stir up in your, in your belly that thirst right now as I'm speaking to you. Let him stir it up. Let him stir it. Just let loose. Put your guards down and close your eyes and say, stir up the thirst within me, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, stir up the th th thirst within me. Stir it up, 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 in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. We'll carry on with our study of Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 onwards. How is that to start a message? I don't know. <laughs> it may not be having much to do with the passage that we are studying, but that's what the Holy Spirit has put in my heart, and that's what I have delivered to you this morning. So here, Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things. What are these things? He talked about making sure you're calling an election. He's talking about God has given us everything required for our life and godliness. He has talked about how to partake in the divine nature. 
He talked about how to grow in him, how to add one thing to the other, and how we need to be adding to faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly love, and to brotherly kindness, love. If you do these things, you will not be unfruitful. You will not be short-sighted. You will be, your eyes will be fix, fixed on heaven, not on earth. And you are going to be full of the life of God. So many things we have talked about. And now he says, so I will always remind you of these things. All that we have talked about. And some of you may say, I don't know what you talked about. We, everything is available on our podcast. So you can go back and refresh yourself. Listen to the messages on Second Peter chapter 1. Three or four messages before this one. And you will be reminded of these things that Peter is wanting to remind. But then the authorized, authorized version says, I will not be negligent. Here in the NIV it says, so I will always remind you of these things. But the authorized version says, I will not be negligent. It's more stronger. That means he's assuming some kind of a responsibility to stir up the things in the hearts of the people of God. He wants to impart something to them. And now there is an also urgency in the things that he is doing. Why is he writing these things? Why is he reminding them? Because the Lord Jesus Christ told him, the time is coming for you to leave this tent and go home. In plain words, he said, Peter, get ready. You are going to die. How would you like to hear that word? When you wake up, wake up one morning, God says, now it's time to die. Will you be happy? <laughs> but I want to tell something today, this morning, about death as well. I want to remove the sting of death. People are terrified by death. I'm aware that somebody has lost someone in our, fam in, in our church family. I'm wanting to be very sensitive at the same time. I want to communicate that there is no nothing to fear about death. There's nothing to fear about death. Now when he's talking about himself, he says, um, what are the words he uses here is, he says in verse 13, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of this body because I know that I will soon put aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now every translation is different. The NIV says, I'll put aside. But then the Greek says, Exodus of my body. Exodus. You know, this is the same word that you hear on the Mount of Transfiguration as well. But these are all things connected. Peter's life, Peter's death, Peter's farewell, Peter's life, and then the transfiguration, experience of transfiguration, they are all mixed together in this passage. To understand it, you need to put them all together. Now here is Peter standing on the Mount of Transfiguration along with James and John. And then they have this mighty, mighty experience. And the experience is they see this Jesus for three years. And three years plus, they are watching him. They are walking with him. They are eating with him. They are sleeping with him. And they know he's a rabbi come from heaven. And one of the times Peter has exclaimed, saying, you are the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, these things are revealed to you not by flesh and blood has not revealed this thing to you, but by my father in heaven. You got this revelation by my father. And of all these things, even though they have got so much of understanding, they have not seen Jesus as God. 
They have not seen Jesus as God. So here they see him on the mount, being transfigured before them. His, his uh, clothes became white, glistening like white, and no one can launder them, someone says. And they're brighter than midday sun. And then his face is glowing. It's just all light. Head to toe, he was glowing. And then when they were seeing these things, and, uh, and then they see Elijah, and they see uh, Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, and Elijah representing the uh, prophets. And both of them coming there and talking about his exodus. What were they talking about? Exodus. What is exodus? Jesus is going to leave this body and is going to go into another phase of life. How he's going to meet death. That is what they were talking about. They were talking about it. And when these things were happening, Peter got excited. He said, oh, master, let me make three tents for this, all of us. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. And they will be outside. That's why if you have three tents, what will happen to the disciples? They'll have to be outside. But the cloud came, and the cloud was again lightning-like cloud. It is not, see, when you go up on the mountain, you will see clouds come, and you will be walking, standing in the cloud. What is a lightning? When two clouds clash, the which are oppositely charged, positive or negative, when they come together, the lightning happens. Here it is not lightning. The whole cloud is like a lightning. And it came and covered them all. And they were fear struck. They fell to the ground. And they hear the voice saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am, I am very much pleased. When you read the account of transfiguration, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the words are different. But when you read here in the Greek, it says, my son, my beloved. What do they say? My son, my beloved. This is Jesus, who is my son, my beloved of the Father, who is God. Who is God. I thank God for the experience of Peter. Why? Your faith and my faith are anchored by his experience. How do you know Jesus is God? After 2,000 years of his living and having passed away in this world, dying for us, being buried, raised up from the dead, you have all the record. How do you know they are true? They are rooted in the experience of the apostles. That's the reason why it says, Paul says, church is being built on the foundation of the prophets, apostles and the prophets. That is the truth. The truth comes to us through the experience of these people, handful of people, 12 people. Of them, among the 12, God, but Jesus chose three of them to see his glory and to experience that he is God. He is none other than God himself in the flesh. And that is revelation. That is revelation. And our church is built on this revelation. And Peter is recording it here. I thank God for the record. If he has not recorded here, you will have one less proof that Jesus is God. John talks about it. In John chapter 1 verse 14, we beheld his glory as the only one of the, uh, as of the one only one, full of grace and truth. We saw him in bodily flesh and blood and full of grace and truth. That was summary of his experience on Mount of Transfiguration. But then it has not come out very clearly when you are reading it and passing by. You will not see that John is talking about Jesus as God. Even though you talk about it, you, you, you understand it, you will not connect it with the Mount of Transfiguration. But here Peter is saying, no, 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 my, my friends, brothers and sisters, don't mistake me. I have seen with my eyes. 
I have heard with my ears. I have part, I was there on the mountain. Where was he? On the mountain. Can you be on the mountain? Can you be on the mountain? Only by faith. As you read the scripture, you visualize yourself on the mountain. See the glory of Jesus. Fall at his feet. Worship him. You can do it by faith. But he had the privilege to be on the mountain. And that authenticates the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How do we know the scriptures, this Bible is true? How do you know this is true? It is, we know it is true because people experienced Jesus and wrote about it. That testimony is the basis of our faith today. The testimony is the basis of our faith today. That's the reason why he says, I will not be negligent. I will not take things lightly. I will take my call seriously. He got a call in John chapter 21. And when he, uh, when he has denied Jesus three times, after Jesus rose again, he met the disciples. And then he says, do you love me more than these? He was very sorry that Jesus is asking him, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. The third time again he says, Peter, do you love me more than this? He was grieved. He's asking him third time because he denied him three times. He's being asked three times the same question. Do you love me more than this? And then he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. He says, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is what he was telling him. And to take the charge that was given to him seriously, he is writing this letter. After many decades, he says, and afterwards again, one of the things what Jesus told him is, when you are young, you will dress up yourself and go wherever you want to go and do the ministry. But a time will come when you are old. You will stretch your hands. Somebody else will dress you up and take you where you don't want to go. And he talked about it as if he is explaining the death that he is going to go through. To explain the death which Peter is going to experience. Jesus said those words. You stretch out your hands. Somebody else will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Talked about his death. And when the time came for him to be crucified, when the people said, now we are going to crucify you for your testimony of Jesus, he said, I don't deserve to be crucified like my master. Crucify me upside down. Crucify me upside down. That is inviting the death and facing it. And you want to know more about the death? It is in the um, Corinthians. Where is it gone? Second Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Meditate upon it when you go home. What is he trying to say? Paul here is saying is, it is like, imagine a small tent. You are living in the tent. And then you got a mansion, a big mansion. Same person is in the tent, moves into the mansion. 
Death is shedding this tent. You are pulling down the ropes, the tent falls down to the ground. Done. But you are unclothed. You become naked when you die. But what Paul is saying is, you are not going to be unclothed, you are not going to be naked. You are going to be clothed with a mansion, much glorious, much mightier. Oh, you cannot, cannot compare to what you are going to see in the future. That is what Jesus has promised. I am going to my father and I am going to prepare a place for you. And if it was not so, I would have told you. No, no, no. I am sure. I am telling you. Believe me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I am going to make a place for you. Why should we be looking at death and be afraid? If you are moving from tent into a mansion, why should you be afraid? Should we not be celebrating the thing? Man begins his life in the world, in the physical, and ends up in heaven. And Jesus left heaven and came into the physical. So you can go from physical to heaven. Why should you be worried about death? Can you look at death and say, ha, 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 I am not afraid of you. Can you say it? Try it. I'm not trying to make it a fun, but I want you to develop that kind of a grit. When you look into the face of the death, you will stare at it and say, you are defeated. Stare into the face of the death and say, you are defeated. You are defeated. You are defeated. You are defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? So that the mortality may be swallowed by life, by immortality. You are going through what is perishable to attain what is imperishable. You pass from temporary to something permanent. You pass from shadow into reality. And that is what is death going to do for you. It opens the door for eternity. It opens the door for experiencing God in all his fullness. You will not just be standing on the Mount of Transfiguration, multiplied by billions of times, trillions of times, will be your experience in heaven. You will see God on the throne. And you will see Jesus on the right hand side of God, Father. And you will see the seven lamp, golden lampstands in the heaven, which represent the Holy Spirit. And you will be enjoying there. There will not be sun there. You will not have a moon there. Because God himself is light for you. And you are going to enjoy life. Hallelujah. So in that conversation in Luke chapter 22 verse 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. May not fail. The word used is eclipse in Greek. May not fail. It's like sun being eclipsed. Look at the sun. You look at it for a few seconds, you'll go blind. But when the moon comes in between the sun and the earth, the sun is eclipsed. What Jesus is saying is, I have prayed that your faith will not be eclipsed by your trial. I am praying that your faith will not be eclipsed by devil. I am praying that your faith will not be eclipsed by anything that happens to you. And when you are restored, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. What is eclipsing you right now from seeing the glory of Jesus? Look at it and laugh. Laugh at it and say you are defeated. 
What is the circumstance that is defeating you? Look at the circumstance, even the death, and laugh at it and say, you are defeated. You are defeated. There's nothing that's going to stand between you and God. And Jesus says, when that eclipse is over, when you're, you're going through that period of, can anybody hide sun forever? Eclipse is only for, last only for a few seconds at the most one minute. But one that is, once it is over, it is glowing again. And your faith should also be like shining sun. Don't let overhanging clouds. Clouds can be in Christchurch, but it will not be in America and Christchurch and Japan everywhere at the same time. Sun cannot be blocked. Let your faith be like the bright shining sun. Let nothing eclipse you. Let nothing eclipse you. So he's talking about departure. He's talking about tent. These are the same two words used on the Mount of Transfiguration. He used the word tent there. Let me put three tents. And he heard Elijah and Moses talk about departure, exodus. And the exodus is the word you see that in the, the second book of the Old Testament, after Genesis, exodus talks about Israelites being delivered from slavery, delivered from bondage, and set into a new kind of a freedom, and to give them a land of their own, a country of their own. And that is what it is. Jesus' exodus is to set you and me free, to the whole world free. That is the exodus. And that exodus is what he's talking about. And he says, in some way or the other, our exodus should look like that exodus. When you live for God and set people free, when you die, that is to set people free. Whole of your life is a fragrant offering to Jesus, to God. And he again talks about verse 13. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Twice he talks about reminding them. Twice he talks about reminding them. Why should you talk twice about reminding somebody? It's important. First thing is important. Secondly, what is he talking about in verse 15? In verse 15 it says, after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. What are these things? Is he talking about his second epistle? Or is he talking about the first epistle? Many commentators agree that verse 15 talks about the gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. Mark was one who followed Apostle Peter all the days of his life. Much of the teaching, everything that Mark wrote in that gospel comes from the mouth of Peter. Everything Mark wrote is belongs to Peter. And Mark preserved the words of Peter, teaching of Peter, because he went from city to city, town to town, wherever he went and was preaching, Mark was there, listening to what Peter was teaching, and he put them together as a gospel. They may not be in chronological order, but the essence of the teaching of Peter is there in the Mark, the book of Mark. And he says, I have made sure that you will be reminded of these things. That these things is the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I have made sure, even after I die and go away from this world, you will not forget it. You will be able to read it because it is put into writing. That is the reason why Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God the Father, has made sure that we have this book in writing. If you don't have it in writing, you will have to depend on hearsay. 
Somebody will tell the story to somebody, and that person will tell to somebody. And when the, as it is being transmitted, the truth of the original message will be lost. Many of you must have played the game. When you go for a camp or something, you'll whisper something into one person's ear and tell him to tell it to other one, to another one. By the time it reaches the last person and comes back, it's completely distorted. It's completely distorted. That's the reason why God made sure that it is all put into writing in the book. And this is why we stand by the inspiration of scriptures, which Peter goes on to talk about in the following verses from 19 to 21, which I will deal with next week. Don't stop coming. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> Somebody may take it too seriously. Oh, he told me not to stop coming to the church. No, don't take it too seriously. But do come. Because the Lord will build your faith through the word. <sighs> Why is Peter writing all these things? Two things. One, grace can be used as a license to sin. Because when you repent, Jesus says, I forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we repent. And that should not become a license. That should not become a license. The second reason is knowledge of God as a substitute for obedience. Some people, they say, I read the Bible 40 times in my life. Good. How much do you obey? How much do you obey? How much do you base your life on the truth of the word? Knowledge is one thing and obedience to God is another thing. And because these two things are together, you need to take the grace without making it a license. You need to be filled with the knowledge without deserving what you read and learn. And because of these two reasons, Peter is going to take extra effort to put them in writing so that people will not forget to read it and they will be reminded all the time. If they forget it, they can open the book and read again what he wrote. That's the reason why we have everything in writing in the book. So here we have historical Jesus. Whom do we have? Historical Jesus, not historical, historical Jesus. <laughs> Why do I say it? He's saying in those words, what he's saying is, verse 16 onwards, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. What he is not following? Cleverly invented stories. When you look into any many of the religions in the world, they are based on cleverly invented stories. They'll write a story that something is going to happen in the future. And they'll write another story to say that it is fulfilled because that story has said it is going to happen. Both are stories. The Greek word used there is mythos, from which we get the English word myth. What is myth? Not real. It's not real. So Peter is saying, we are not building our faith on cleverly invented stories. But where is it building? Where is, on what is it built? He says, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The word majesty used in the Greek is a unique word. Unique word. Mm. Yeah. 
It's a unique word. And it is, it talks about great power and glory. And every time you, think, you look at the words describing Jesus, these two words go together, glory and power. Everybody say glory and power. That is what Jesus is, belongs to. That's, that's what belongs to Jesus, glory and power. In Matthew verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 30, then he will appear in heaven <clears throat> with the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. He's going to come back. And Jesus claimed to all power in Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Refers to an official state visit of a king. When the king comes and visits the state, you make a lot of preparation. I work for railways. Whenever the general, general manager visits the stations, the stations will be all shining. It will be painted, washed, everything clean. You come into, they'll come and give you a, no, give you a date. By this date, your office must be shining. Your records are all hidden. There are pine. Everything, you will not find any dust anywhere. Everything is clean. And he just comes and walks through and looks at it and says, oh, this place is good, good, good. Give some awards and goes. That's it. And next day, back to the same old stage. But when Jesus is coming, he's coming there like a state visit. And when he comes, he comes with glory. What, are, what is the preparation we make for it? How are we prepared for this Jesus? If you want this Jesus to walk in power and glory in your life, what is your preparation? If you are not prepared, you will not see the glory. Week after week, when I stand here to preach, I prepare the whole week. I groan and cry and say, God, let your glory come. Let your glory come. Let your glory come. I pray this prayer. Let your glory come. And let the word come with authority and power. Let the people be stirred to obey the word. I, this is my prayer. If I don't prepare for it, I have no right to stand here and preach the word. I have no right to stand here. Because the word, those who are teachers of the word will be judged more strictly. That means I need to have an inward look and say, God, check my heart. And I must look into the word and allow the light of the word to shine into my life and to cleanse me with this word and to throw light into the dark spots in my heart. And I want to let the word rule in my heart. And then with fear and trembling, I have to stand here and say, oh God, don't judge me, please, in your mercy. Deal with me in your mercy because I'm teaching the word as it has to be taught. And if I fail in my obedience, give me grace to obey it. I had to cover myself. That's, that is what we had to do. One of the things he says is, we were eyewitnesses. What did he say? We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory, of his grandeur, of his, of his brilliance, of his, um, the very nature of who God is. We saw who God is in the flesh. We saw him being transformed you know, before our eyes on the mountain. I was on the mountain. That is what is important. That's what is important. And our faith is based on his experience. And we know that it's true. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We others heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We were with him on the mountain. We are witnesses and we heard. That is the Christian faith based on. 
not on myths, not on fairy tales, not on fairy tales. And when we go particularly for praying for people, for deliverance, we read from uh, Psalm 97, which says, He is exalted far above all things. He is exalted far above all gods. The demons tremble. The moment you read it, you can see the person for whom we are praying. They'll make their face like this. And there will be pain, there will be pain in their body. Be, they just don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Why? There's power in this word. So what am I trying to say here is, this power and glory, not only just did Peter experience on that mountain, and witness it, and heard with his voice, but you can see that it is a word when you use it in real life. You see the power when you use it in the real life. There is power in the word. And my encounters with God have always been encounters with the word of God. In 1987, I heard the voice. It's not a voice, I would say. It's something flashed in my mind. I cannot say it's golden letters. It should be like fiery letters. And I say, what I saw in that mind, my mind was, you are not fighting with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. And my struggle for one month, I was struggling to prepare for a message to preach the next day. It was gone in one second. And I knew at that moment that there is power in the word. And I thought I understood it. No. After decades, now I'm realizing what God said in 1987 is what, is what I'm walking now in it. I am not fighting with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. We are casting out demons. We are fighting with the not with flesh and blood, with principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. We are fighting with the evil forces. This is the task for which God called me. And he spoke to me in the 1987. And I know that the word is true. And I thought one of the things that I want to say is you need to have an experience of your own with the word of God, like Peter had on the Mount of Transfiguration. When you have an experience with the word, then nobody can shake your faith. Nobody can fool you. Nobody can distract you. Nobody can desert you. Nobody can discourage you. Nobody can put your faith off. Why? Because you know it for yourself. You need to know the power of the word in your life. And when you know the power, nobody can desert you. Nobody can discourage you. Nobody can fool you. Nobody can uh, uh, take you for a ride. Why? Because you know that the word is true in your own life. My question today is, what is your experience of the word? Have you encountered Jesus? Who is the word? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. What is your experience? Don't take this Bible lightly. We say read it every day. I would say when you open the word, be aware it is the word of God, not a piece of literature. And when you become aware it's the word of God and allow it to sink into your spirit, into your soul, then comes the power from within. The power comes from the word. And the Holy Spirit uses the word to give you power. So whatever you go to, to do, when you want to pray for a miracle to happen, when you want to heal somebody, cast out a demon, it is the word that is in you that will come out as power. So he says, we are eyewitnesses. We are on the mountain. We heard the voice. May the Lord give us mighty experience like that. 
The word majesty in Greek is megale, megaleiotis. I may not be pronouncing rightly, but majesty is a very rare New Testament word. In both its other occurrences, it means the majesty of the divine. This is exclusively used of God. In one word, you want to say it is exclusively used for God. And he says this word to Jesus. That simply means he says, I have seen God in Jesus. The majesty, the glory. Every time in the Old Testament you see these words, cloud, it represented God. It did not come with lightning, but it came like a cloud. Exodus chapter 16 verse 10. When Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. They were murmuring, complaining against Moses and against uh, Aaron. And when this, all this trouble was going on, far when they see in the desert, the cloud was looking small. Every single second, it was coming towards the place where they were gathered, it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And it comes and stands on the tent of meeting, where this meeting is going on, complaining against Moses and Aaron. And the people were terrified because God came to, as a judge, between Moses and Aaron and the people of God were complaining against him. The glory comes like a cloud. Every time you see a glory, let it remind you of the glory of God. Numbers 14.10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4. And I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. And a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire, came like a cloud, the glory of God. And I want to conclude here. I want you to, I encourage you to have an experience of God. I want you to experience the word of God. The power of the word of God. And that is the authenticated witness in your spirit. That you are not following myths and fables. But you are put in trust in the majesty of God. The majesty of God. I want you to bow your heads now. And meditate for a moment. Look into your heart and see where, what is your experience. How much is your thirst? We began with that. How much is your thirst? Is it little? Can it be quenched by what? A little child who is going to be happy with drinking and satisfied? Are you drinking from a glass? Or are you just grabbing the pot and drinking? Because you got a huge thirst. Ask the Lord right now. Stir up within me a great hunger for you. Oh God, until I am quenched. The word of God says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. But I am asking you now that your thirst should be quenched by the Holy Spirit, by his word, by an encounter with the majesty of God. You got to meet him on the mountain of transfiguration. As Jesus was transfigured, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you will be transformed. Transfiguration leads to transformation. 
And I tell you, if you don't have these two T's in your life, that is incomplete life. You need to see Jesus' transfiguration and it should transform your life. And then only, then only, your life is fulfilled. Otherwise, it's empty. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Shabarasthya rakta koronu. Barahanda sabiranastu sabarasthya koronu. The Lord says, all this you heard is true and I paid for it with my blood, says the Lord Jesus. That it may be yours. I paid for it so you can have it freely. Randa saktare rahasavarano koronu. Shaktara barane rahasav koronu manda sabiranastu koronu. You cannot cook up like you cook something in your kitchen because it is something that I have made for you like manna comes down from heaven. It's from manna. It comes down from heaven. I want you to receive it as manna, not as something that you cook in your food, that you cook in your kitchen. No. The Lord says, receive it as heavenly food, the word of God, and you have an encounter with me. You will have an encounter with me. Come close to me. Have the thirst, says the Lord. Oh, the unquenchable thirst for me, and I will satisfy it. And the word of God says, seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Ask, it will be given to you. Receive it right now, right now. Holy Spirit, I call upon thee right now to come and blow in this place and stir up, oh God, Father, everybody who comes under the influence of my voice, let the hunger, let the thirst be stirred up in their belly, oh God, right now. Unquenchable thirst, unquenchable thirst. I decree and declare in the name of Jesus, I pull down everything that lifts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that lifts itself against the knowledge of God, I pull it down right now. Every obstacle in their faith, I pull it down right now in Jesus' mighty name. I command to be uprooted with these roots and Go cast it in the sea in Jesus' mighty name. Be loose, be set free right now. Holy Spirit, come and stir up the thirst and quench the thirst by the mighty presence, majesty of God. Let them have an encounter with Jesus right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless your children. May your presence go with them continually. And Lord, I pray that they will have this thirst and be quenched by the power of the Holy Ghost. I bless your children in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.